1: rest in this program are based on the holy spirit leading of a man called coach
0: i gotta ask you this out there christian america
1: it's time for pass the salt with a coach dave daubenmeyer
0: call it murder murder that's what they do they call it murder see uh, we have become so christianized that we're afraid to use real words we're afraid to We're not allowed to say we hate anything. We're not allowed to say we hate anybody. Say, well, coach, we're not supposed to hate. Okay, I get get all that stuff, right? But the Bible says that God hates all workers of iniquity. He does. (laughs) And I'm going to agree with him, by the way. Uh, I do not love, uh, we had a little bit of a fire here uh, in the pre-show. I got got on fire a little early this morning. Uh, I don't love those who cut off little boys' penises. I don't love those people. I don't, I'm sorry. Hmm? You could say, well, I love them in the Lord. But until folks, until we come to the understanding and the realization that we're at war, that they hate us. Now, look, I understand you don't fight hate with hate. But for me to tell the, when the Bible says that God hates all workers of iniquity and I see workers of iniquity showing off, should I tell them God loves them or does God hate them? We we better have a discussion about this, friends. Because if we if we think that, we are going to go, well, I do not want to get in there. We've got a great show today, and I'm not going to say much here at the beginning. I want to hear from Ray LeBlanc and his trip up in uh, Wisconsin, however you ever say that. And and uh, I want to hear from uh, <clears throat> uh, Jeff Klein, his trip to the school board meeting last night. But we're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to do that tomorrow. Because uh, right now, we're going to dive into... Uh, when you go to the dictionary and you look up father, you're gonna see Scott Shar's numb face, folks. That this is a guy who lost his uh, developmentally handicapped Down syndrome daughter Grace. They murdered her. She she look, she didn't just go in the hospital and they give her some treatment and oh my goodness poor grace passed from covid uh that would be that would be the line that they want you to believe but when i we were in uh, wisconsin a couple of weeks ago rob Hughes' event i ran into scott grace's dad I ran into scott and we had a conversation and i had him on my uh i had him on my show on Friday on on monday and scheduled him to come in here got up early this morning to come in here with us and uh I, folks this is going to be riveting they they murdered his daughter. They just didn't. The hospital didn't just let her die. They literally murdered her. And Scott being, uh, as I said to him the other day, father of the year in my in my mind, he's put everything aside and he is going after those who murdered his daughter out of love and honor of that precious life that was snuffed out. So Scott, we're honored to have you here today, brother. And uh, I'm just going to open it up and you got, you got as much time as you need to tell us your story.
2: Well, the honor is mine, Dave. And, you know, you're giving me more credit than I deserve. No, I'm not. When, no, I'm not. No, well, I'm not. you know, when By well, the way,
0: real quickly, pull yeah. up the picture of Gracie. See if you can get that up on the screen. It's the stuff I sent you. So you'll see the sweet little thing yeah. that we're talking about. Go ahead, Scott.
2: So uh, I'll just, about this picture first, this, this happens to be my favorite picture of Grace. Um you know, it's dandelion season in Wisconsin, our yard. I haven't mowed yet. And so the yard is just, it's all dandelions. It's beautiful. But, you know, before Grace picked that bouquet, she picked that bouquet for mom. And I took that picture and I thought, oh, my gosh, I used to be a lawn Nazi thinking these dandelions <laughs> are weeds. And, uh you know, she... I'm a, she a lawn had, Nazi,
0: Scott. I, there's a story there.
2: <laughs> I'm a lawn Nazi. And you know we have a seven-acre lawn. So I mean, to be a lawn Nazi on a seven-acre lawn is a big deal, dude. I've uh, mowed
0: four times already, Scott. Four times. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, so I'll be mowing for the first time this week. But I mean, the dandelions now—I I just look at them through her eyes, and it's she. You know, she while she was alive, I would say I got about a C minus as a dad, and the main reason is I own a business and I. I worked way too hard. I can't get that time back now. But, you know, I want to get an A now. And yeah. so I turned my business over to my guys to jump into this fight full time. And this fight has gotten, uh, it's way bigger than I thought. I was not awake until Grace died. And just, mm-hmm. I'll just give everybody the short story about what happened to Grace. So this was October of 2021. We had um, We had been awake to to uh, vaccinations for a long time. We homeschooled all three of our kids. And so vaccinations uh, that, uh, rejecting vaccinations was just part of what we agreed to, but, you know, we still had been infiltrated by the propaganda, the fear propaganda relative to COVID. And unfortunately that fear propaganda is um, what, is why grace lost her life. And I say that very specifically because when fear takes over, God did not give us a spirit of fear. So when fear happens, we're called to run opposite of that um, feeling, emotion, whatever it is that causes you to do X, Y, or Z. Well, in this case, we were monitoring grace's oxygen, her oxygen saturation level, and it dropped to 88%. And that the fear overtook me, and I took grace to the hospital and if it would if I would have relied on God, grace would be alive today. I had to repent of that, so I don't want anybody to think that you know I'm not it, it's not anything you can get over, but you can repent of it and move on and and now my calling is to be in this fight a hundred percent but ultimately, the reason Dave said grace was murdered uh, so Grace's last day on Earth was October 13th of 2021. It took me until April of 22 to realize she was murdered, and the reason is is I had to go through the records and prove it in my own mind. I knew something nefarious happened early on because, on <clears throat> after Grace died, I drove my wife to the hospital. I couldn't go in because I had COVID, but one of the nurses walked out with Cindy. Or Cindy was in a wheelchair the pastor walking her out. And then uh, a nurse had Grace's belongings on a cart. And she leaned down and said, Mrs. Shara, uh, me and several of the nurses don't think Grace should have died today. So we knew something happened. Mm. Uh, then I got the records. I went through the records with a doctor. Hang on, Scott.
0: One of the nurses, as they're putting your wife in the car, said, we just want you to know we don't think Grace should have died. They told you that? Yes. Wow.
2: So that, that got us digging. And Uh, And, you know, it took a a bit to get into things because Grace died October 13th. I went into the hospital, a different hospital on October 16th. I just about died that night. And, Mm. you know, ultimately it took me, I was down to 147 pounds and it took me several weeks just to get to the point where I could order the records Uh, because I would, after I got out of the hospital, I was pretty weak. Ultimately, I ordered the records, and one of the, I have about 60 miracles documented so far in this walk, and one of the miracles was getting the records in three days. I mean, how can that happen? Nobody gets the records in three days. Well, then we went through them, me and this other doctor, and we realized, oh, you know, Grace was killed. You know, There's a combination of meds that I'll go through here in a minute, and it showed that she was killed. So then what I did with that information, so the timeline here is Grace's last day, October thirteenth, two 2021. We get the records on the 3rd of November. I put together an email with our summary of the records, uh, two patient relations requesting a meeting with the CEO and the doctor that, you know, that was my biblical responsibility, talking, talking to the people who did this, thinking that they would want to know, and they would repent, but then also know, you don't want to do this to anybody else. So this is, you know, you can tell I was not awake to the agenda. I had no
0: idea. You're thinking this death is just accidental, right? At that
2: that time, I thought it was accidental. So then on December 2nd, They emailed back and said, we're not going to meet with you. I thought, boy, this is strange. Why won't they meet with me? So that day I prepared um, complaints with the Department of Safety and Professional Services against the doctor and then the related department against the hospital. And on January 20th, we received the letter on January 24th, but it was dated January 20th, the Department of Safety and Professional Services. This is the organization in Wisconsin that's supposed to protect the public from nefarious doctors. Well, they wrote back and said, we did an investigation and the doctor did no wrong. And that's when, that was the first day that I thought, oh, my gosh, there's something bigger going on here. Uh, so that was January of 22. Uh, so then I really dove into the records, and by April of 22, I realized, oh, my God, Grace was murdered. And that's when you know I got into this um, more than full time. Before that, I was probably working on Grace's case 40 to 50 hours a week. Now I'm well over 70 hours a week. Well, Scott, if, we, if we could, on... and you could,
0: and you and I discussed this the other day, in the eyes of the medical system, Grace, Down syndrome, mentally handicapped, useless eater. Right, Scott? We get right down to it. No reason to save this girl.
2: Well, that's a that is. Uh, I I believe that is what happened. And I'll just give you the what got me to the point of realizing that she was murdered. She was on a sedation med called Presidex, uh, that according to the package insert says if you use it for more than twenty four hours, it causes acute respiratory failure. Grace's death certificate, the first cause of death, says acute respiratory failure. So it was a direct cause and effect from using Presidex by. Uh, October 13th, she's on it for five days. And, you know, this is all, there's no informed consent. I mean, these they're just doing this stuff. So she, have, 24,
0: hours is, 24 hours is the most she should be on it, and she's on it five right. days.
2: Five days. And so they told the truth on that portion of the death certificate that she died of acute respiratory failure, but they caused it directly. Then the second cause of death they listed was COVID-19 pneumonia. And in this process, I realized about the God got me up one morning in January um, to dig into the money and the money trail. And and that's when I realized Grace was worth more dead than alive. And that was really part of the the situation. So, of course, Grace did not die of COVID-19 pneumonia. She didn't even have COVID when she died, assuming she even had COVID at the beginning, which I don't know any of that. I mean, it's all it's the whole COVID narrative is a, one of the big lies to get us focused on that while they're doing this, just like the magician. Uh, so anyway, let's just assume she had COVID. She did not die of COVID. What they did, in addition to Presidex, the doctor, while he simultaneously with hanging up the phone with us the morning of her last day, he put an illegal DNR order on her. Do not resuscitate. And you know, while he's on the phone, he said, Grace, it's such a good day. Let's work on nutrition. You know, he's telling where he's she's going to get uh, get out of bed in a chair. We're going to get her out of here in the next several days. Well, while we're on the phone, they increased Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. Simultaneous with hanging up the phone, he put an illegal DNR order on her. (laughs) Then they combined Presidex with lorazepam and morphine, which the morphine package insert says to never do that because it can cause death. And if you do do it, you're supposed to keep the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. After they gave Grace morphine, no doctor or nurse came in the room. So, you know, it's, and then when I saw, okay, so that I thought, well, okay. They're that just, was just putting
0: her to sleep, aren't they, Scott? They're just putting Well, her
2: to- I thought it was malpractice at the beginning, but then I realized it was murder because in order for that to happen, the doctor, of course, had to order those meds. But then the hospital pharmacist had to sign off on the order. The alarm had to be overridden because those meds are contraindicated, and then the nurse who gave Grace the meds had 14 years of ICU experience on top of her nursing experience. Wow. So when I saw that combination, I thought, no, they did this on purpose. And you know, so then what happened is I started digging into, okay, what is really going on here? And I wanna to get to that document you referenced, Dave, here in a minute, but you know, I wanna build up, how did I even get there? Because, sure. <clears throat> well, I'll just start with the end after we filed the lawsuit, we filed the lawsuit on April 11th and on April, I think it was on April 12th or the 13th, a reporter from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel called me and she wanted to do an interview. And uh, so we started talking and then she said, do you think that Grace died because she had Down syndrome? I said, yes, I do. And then she said, are you a conspiracy theorist? I said, well, people like you want to label me that way to discredit what I have to say. But I said, I can prove it. And she said, well, what do you mean? So I sent her some documents. I'm going to, um, so I'm going to go to that. So I'm going to, you're going to have to hang in limbo here for a minute uh, with you. and be in suspense. And we'll get to the document I showed her. And I could feel her wake up on the phone. But, you know, to get there, I started digging into genocide. And you know, I, I surprisingly, the the Epoch Times was willing to to publish an article. They did a, a story on me calling this genocide. We started putting up billboards in our area. We have 18 boards up and we started calling this genocide. And you know the Epic Times picked up on it and to my surprise they were willing to do it because people wouldn't interview me because I was calling it genocide. Well then I dug into World War II and the comparisons with World War II. And I realized, oh my gosh, we're history is repeating itself. Well, then I, I, another door that God opened up is Vera Sheriff. She's a Holocaust survivor. Well, her and I have done about twenty-five interviews together, and she really connected the dots with what's going on and the comparisons. Well, then you know that led to another door opening up. Uh, Kate Shemarani, she's a nurse from the UK. She is exposing what I'm exposing in the U.S. and the U.K. And she said, Scott, there's got to be documents in the U.S. that show that they want to euthanize people. And so I found those documents. Uh, and, you know, one of them is Obamacare. Uh, and I I sent this to you, Dave, if the yeah, producer I, can bring we, it up.
0: We this, have all those. Our producer yeah. has all those charts. Uh, yeah, so this is.
2: So, yeah, The the. Yep. There you go. That, that one. So we'll just stay on this document for a minute. So anybody that doesn't believe me, I mean, this is right out of Obamacare. Obamacare is 974 pages long. This is page 141. And so the title says Prohibition Against Discrimination on Assisted Suicide. So what I, how I want to introduce this is our country is the best at projecting its sin on everybody else. So we say, you know, those naughty Canadians with the medical assistance and dying program, well, we're always first to the punch, but we hide it. So here it is. Our medical assistance in dying is right here. So it says the government may not subject an individual, these are the doctors, or an institutional healthcare entity, so the hospitals, to discrimination on the basis that the entity does not provide any healthcare item or service furnished to the for the purpose of causing or for the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual Such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. Mercy killing. They're telling us right in writing they are going to kill us with assisted suicide, euthanasia, and mercy killing. But if you have a conscience and you don't want to follow the mandated protocol by our government, you can't be discriminated against. What's real interesting? Scroll down to sub D. Is meaning if you 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 want to live, you you have the right to live if you want to live. That's right. Well, if you're discriminating, so now let's say a doctor says, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to euthanize this person. I'm not going to give this person the jab, even though I'm mandated to give them the jab. Okay, so we already saw what happened with the doctors who rejected this during COVID, right? They they lost their licenses. They're shunned. Uh, so their appeal rights, this is, this is so, um, I mean, it's laughable their appeal rights are the, to the Department of Health and Human Services. Well, the Health and Human Services Secretary is likely the most evil man on U.S. soil. So this is more evil than Anthony Fauci. And the reason I say that is because he had unilateral authority to implement the public health emergency, which was done on January 31st of 2020. Then by every 90 days, he had to re-up that, which he did And it expired on April eleventh of twenty three. So Congress on April tenth, with the president signing it, said COVID is over. That was illegal. That was a dog and pony show. Congress had no authority to end the public health emergency. Only the Health and Human Services Secretary did. And while the public health emergency is going on, the he has authority to implement the equivalent of law. And he put in death panels, on. Thanksgiving Day of 2022. And that document I I think I sent to you, but regardless, it's on Grace's website. So you think about okay, so they're telling us this is how they're going to kill us. And if you have a doctor who has a conscience, his appeal rights are to the people who write the laws to kill us. Okay. So Mm. this makes no sense. But I mean, here it is right in black and white. So you think, oh, this can't be, that cannot be the case, Scott. Well, so now back to this reporter who said, you know, are you a conspiracy theorist? So I sent her via email. We went through it right on the phone. And so I I showed her how they implement Obamacare on a boots on the ground level. How do they implement this crap? All right. So let's go to the, the Down syndrome slide, the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. There you go right there. All right. So this Document so you can put your own state in here. Of course, we're from Wisconsin, you can tell because I'm the only one who doesn't have an accent. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, very rarely do people get my sense of humor. So, thank you. So, I'm gonna go on a rabbit trail here for a minute because Grace got my sense of humor. So, my sense of humor is literal. So I'd like I'd like to see you know the you know literal thing. So um, when I taught Grace this early on, my son Travis got me introduced to to this idea. So um, we were, and I'll just share how I got introduced to the idea of literal humor. So early, Travis was always a dilly dallier when he was young. Uh, you know, getting ready for church and things like that. I mean, it just was a nightmare. And my wife said to him one morning, Travis, I am not telling you again. No more dilly-dallying around. And he says, so he's probably six, six years old. And he said to my wife, how come you just told me again? And (laughs) yeah, I couldn't, you know, you're supposed to support your wife. I couldn't. I mean, I thought that was so funny. Yeah. Anyway, I taught that to Grace, and so just a, the quick introduction to teaching Grace, uh, I, I do not like Walmart as a store, I just despise that store, you know, if I go there, I park in somebody else's lot so they don't see my car, and <laughs> and so one, I must have done something wrong, my wife said, you got to go to Walmart and pick this up, and so I took Grace with me, and we're driving to Walmart, and I said, Grace, just so you know, everybody who shops at Walmart is a zombie, and so we get into Walmart she pokes a guy in the stomach and said, "Dad, they're not zombies." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're so this you know you kind of get a sense of grace. I mean, she just was special. So now this is a training document that we have up on the screen for. It's called palliative care for patients with Down syndrome. You can see it's written by two MDS. This is the document training medical professionals on how to handle people with Down syndrome. So they introduce the concept here it says causes of morbidity and death and down syndrome so they're introducing down syndrome people to this group they're training and talking about there's there's probably 40 problems here I mean they just list all the problems that people with down syndrome have and i mean you can see these things i mean you scroll down and you see okay they dental issues seizures sleep apnea uh, cardiac septal defects thyroid defunction Okay, so what is the reason they have all these problems listed? Well, because they want to kill them. This document proves it. All right, so now they list all these problems. So then the transition statement is, is right in the middle here. So it says the lifelong toll on families is high. So if you just read all those problems, you would say, I mean, why do these families even want somebody with Down syndrome? Yeah, There's nothing, just nothing a burden, right? nothing Grace but a burden. burden they're nothing but a problem. so now they transition to that the lifelong toll on families is high. I'm here to tell you the lifelong toll that Grace had on our family was to make our family better. uh She made me a better dad, and the reason is that she emulated the love that we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to do. I mean, I'll just tell you a quick story. Um, Grace kept me young. I've aged a lot since Grace died. Uh, We would go to the fair, and you know, I had to ride all the rides. You know, to the point of you know, you can't even stand it anymore. But you know, you got to do that because you know, she's she's your kid. (laughs) Anyway, I'm I'm sitting on a bench, and uh, and there's a a man that I really do not care for from town, and he, um, grace runs up to him and gives him a hug. And I sat on that bench and I thought, uh, she can do what I can't. And that was just, it was fantastic. Um, because that man needed love. Uh, he, he is, um, not just a homosexual, but he's, He thinks it's right. He got married in one of the uh, Christian churches that is not Christian, but they promote to be Christian. I thought, you know, this this type of thing I can't I can't stomach. And, you know, he needed he needs love is what he needs. And it doesn't mean, you know, I'm not discounted at all what you said at the beginning, Dave, because it's right. But how do you get to somebody who needs to be saved? Amen. And, you know, you've got to call the sin a sin, but you also, how does that start? You don't start by hammering them. You start by loving them. So you have an opportunity to open up the door. Sure. Anyway, so then it concludes You're part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by healthcare providers. Okay. So now they set the stage for the kill. All right. So the kill is the next one. Whenever possible, decision makers so these are the medical professionals for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment which is their judgment to make key palliative care decisions all efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient however because of lifelong cognitive impairment the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known so
0: they're not smart enough to know whether they want to live or not is that what it is Scott
2: that's what they're saying yeah. so this is this is how they implement Obamacare section 1553 on the boots on the ground level. In Grace's doctor's report, so Grace was in the hospital seven days, a doctor, every time they go into the room, has to write a report. So there was 22 reports written in the seven days Grace was in the hospital. They referenced the fact that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times. Well, that's obviously not necessary. What's the purpose of that? Makes absolutely no sense to reference. It would be like saying I have gray hair 36 different times. Why does that change the standard of care? Hmm. But the standard of care is documented right here if you have Down Hmm. syndrome. And, you know, Obamacare was written by Ezekiel Emanuel and is real critical to realize this concept doesn't apply to people with Down syndrome. It applies to every single one of us because Ezekiel Emanuel, I'm going to read the quote from him. <clears throat> so this is the this is the man they hired to put Obamacare together. He said in nineteen ninety-six, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So that means when every one of us will become a useless eater some at some point in our life. And when that happens, we do not deserve medical care. And we are going to get taken out by Section 1553. That's one reason I'm I'm out there sharing this is because if you're warned, if you change your belief, you can change your actions. So if you believe our country is doing this and our hospital system is doing this, you can protect yourself. If you don't believe it, you can't protect yourself, right? Amen. And, Scott, at the heart
0: of all this, well, there's a lot of things at the heart of this, the evil ones at the heart of all of it. But it's all money, isn't it, Scott? isn't it um talk about some of the money they made off the killing of your daughter
2: yeah so the the money is clearly part of it and i'm going to just talk about the macro view of the money first so what they've done is the medical professionals since you know since the rockefellers infiltrated the the medical training in the early 1900s they have systematically gone from individualism to collectivism and they, they do this under the guise of money. So before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. Those two population groups account for, at that point, accounted for 39% of the federal budget. So this is the excuse they use. We, this is too expensive. We've got to ration care for these population groups. It's too, too expensive. Well, obviously, that's a lie. Not the 39%, but that it's too expensive. the reason I say that is because we don't have a real currency. So it's not too expensive. They just have to print more money, which they do for every conceivable cause. So we know it's not too expensive, but they use that as the excuse to infiltrate the medical training with this spirit of collectivism. So now after COVID, guess how many people are on Medicare and Medicaid now? It went up. It's a hundred million now. A third of the population is on Medicare and Medicaid. So now we have over 50% of the budget. And and what's going to happen because 70% of our population got the jab is cancer is going to go through the roof. So there's going to be some massive die-offs coming up here under the provision of Obamacare section 1553. Then as you drill down the money related to, to COVID, I think I have the love of money um, Slide that you could show. Let's go. It's titled right on the top: "The Love of Money." I don't. If it's see not that there, here. I'll just talk it through. You don't have that one. Okay, that's fine. So, what is going on with the with the money? The some Center for Mer- Medicaid Services whistleblowers early on with COVID showed that the average bonus two hospitals with a COVID patient. So they get bonuses for diagnosing with COVID, admission, remdesivir, ventilator. When they die, they get, so they got a $13,000 bonus for Grace's death. Uh, So the average hospital bonus received for per COVID patient is $100,000 with Grace's situation, I believe the reason that she was killed on October 13th specifically is we rejected the fifth attempt for a pre-authorization for a ventilator. A ventilator is about a $300,000 payday to the hospital. Folks, do you understand what
0: Scott's telling you? That if they put somebody on a ventilator in the hospital, the hospital will receive $300,000 in Medicare reimbursement. That's basically it, right, Scott? So it's, yep. it's, it's, it's profitable for them to do everything they can because money's following it.
2: And they even lie to get it, to get you there. So yeah. uh, it, it, relative to the ventilator situation, this is where the big payday is. So the ventilator is approved under emergency use authorization. So, so this is where the, the health and human services secretary on January 3rd, 31st of 2020, implemented the public health emergency. Four days later, on February 4th, he implemented the PREP Act to provide immunity from liability. Then the FDA implemented emergency use authorizations. And one of the emergency use authorizations they implemented was for a ventilator. This is how the whole bonus system started happening. So this is falls under the concept that you can't make this up. They crossed every T and dotted every I ventilators with COVID as a diagnosis have a 90% kill rate, 90% kill rate.
0: Okay, do you understand what he just said? If they put you on a ventilator, 90% of the people who go on a ventilator are going to die and they know it.
2: It's, it's, this is so huge that people understand it. We have, in our country, we have 1.2 million hospital deaths with COVID as a diagnosis in the last 39 months. We're number one in the entire world in that category. And so you think, well, who's number two? How far behind are they? Well, number two is India. India has 531,000 deaths, but their population is four times that of the United States. So you can see it's a nefarious agenda right there just by that statistic I gave you. That's mind-blowing what I just said. So this, this money trail that they use to incentivize hospitals to implement this agenda is beyond belief. The hospital system that Grace died in, Ascension Hospital System, the, I did the math. The first year of COVID, based on the number of patients that they had, they received $10 billion in government bonus payments One to hospital. follow one hospital system it's they have 150 hospitals in their system, so one hospital system, Ascension Hospital system, which they're the largest Catholic hospital system in the United States, the second largest nonprofit they have 30 billion in cash reserves. this is who we're up against, Dave, with the lawsuit uh-huh. so Scott, Scott
0: uh, how much did they make off of grace
2: I can't answer that with hundred percent certainty because what
0: would you guess, brother? what would you guess?
2: I would guess that they made somewhere in the $100,000 range. Man,
0: So, Scott, here's what I'm going to do, because I know you can go on and on and on. In fact, we can give folks other interviews from Scott if you want to go get more information about it. But, Scott, I want to open it up because these folks have some questions for you. Yeah, that would be great. Now, folks, listen. Listen. As I always say, tell us a story, not your life story. All right? Ask the question, and and let's go from there. Okay, Jack, you're up. Go, Jack.
1: Yeah, um, my heart bleeds. Uh, my daughter is is Down syndrome, and we've been it, – it, totally different story. But um, the agenda, you just proved the agenda because the money wouldn't be the issue if it wasn't for the agenda. They could save millions and millions, billions of dollars if they simply put those people – they got sick on vitamin D for 50 bucks. They could have saved millions and millions of people. So the, the, the agenda is to kill. The agenda is to kill and the money is approved. Yeah. Amen. Right, right on Jack.
0: Follow the money. Follow the money. Dr. Paul, Dr. Paul Gosling's in the, a physician
1: in
2: Maine. Yeah. So let's I know Paul. Point. Well, I've been on Paul's program a couple times. Hi Paul.
1: Hey Scott. I'm. Um- I want people to wrap their heads around this. This hasn't been, COVID kind of brought this out, but this has been going on since I've been in medicine. And, uh, and I'll just give you an example. In 2014, I reported a physician who was drugging and raping his, his patients in Maine. And when I reported it, the board kind of threw that under the rug. And, you know, when I first got into medicine, I thought the boards of medicine were to protect patients. No, they're to protect the system. Yes. There's no place for Scott to go to sue anybody because the uh, the lawyers who are involved in malpractice are playing both sides. They work for the hospitals. They do not work for the patient unless you have a lot of money. And in 2014, I lost my license for five years because I reported this guy. And he still practices in Maine. And he drugs and he rapes his young male patients. His name is Dr. John Irwin. I'm throwing it out there folks, because I'm really quite tired of this whole bullshit of of can you imagine your child going to a doctor and he gets raped? Huh. so so
0: so Paul or uh, Scott I had a doctor, I'm careful what I say. I've had doctors who tell me. that uh, other doctors are prisoners to the system, right? That when you get into a hospital system, you have to do the protocol of the hospital. You have to follow all the regulations that come from the top down and that doctors are somewhat deceived or self-deceived, acting like they don't know, they're just following protocol. What's your experience
2: with that, Scott? That's a complete lie you know, there's going to be some of them, you know, not every doctor graduated first in their class. So if you have, you know, somebody who graduated last, maybe they're a blind sheep like that, but just process how stupid that thought process is. Yeah. And in, in COVID yeah. exposes it. So, If you were, uh, if any of you were doctors in a hospital system with COVID and you saw, okay, we got this slam of patients coming in, here's the protocol that's dictated. So you start following the protocol, remdesivir ventilator. Okay, so then, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, 100% of the patients you treat die with that (laughs) protocol. And, and then maybe the next we week and try
0: something else huh maybe we the and next try something
2: week, 100%. Else. I mean how many weeks would it take you to get on your laptop and start searching worldwide what are other doctors doing right yeah you know, so i do not accept that at all in fact that's you know i think paul is right the it's it's um who's all in on this you know, is the ju- judiciary in on it? Are the attorneys in on it? I I think everybody's in on it. You know, we've we filed a lawsuit with that in mind. You know, the legal team we have, I have vetted. You know, I don't know that I can vet uh, well enough, but God opened up that door. And, you know, we're paying for our own case, which gives us a lot of latitude. And so, for example, if you yeah, if you just pull up our case, you'll see... We're, we have filed not only against the Ascension hospital system, but five doctors and two nurses. And that is, uh, that is not how it's done. The, the lawyers don't want it done that way because it's way more expensive to file that way. Um, but we needed to file that way because we have to make a statement. Doctors and nurses are accountable for their choices. It isn't the hospital that killed Grace. They're part of it, of course. But the doctors and nurses chose. Amen. And you cannot use the excuse of following protocol. Just think that think that through. You Amen. can't follow, you know, if we could all use the excuse of following protocol, that means just that just doing my no, job, boss.
0: Just doing yeah, my job. Just I'm doing my doing job. Right? Here, boss. Just doing my so when, job. Right. When I
2: grew up, they taught us, you know, if somebody tells you to jump off the bridge, are you going to do it? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, you don't do that just because somebody tells you.
0: Amen. Let's get some folks in here. Eileen, come in, then
3: Rochelle. Good morning, Scott. It's Eileen Tesh. Could you just take a minute and share with everybody your faith journey with your and what happened to you um, and how God took
2: you to a whole new level with your son and in your heart attack? Yeah, I didn't have a heart attack, but I was dying. So, um, you know, my faith journey, I would would say, you know, I I knew I was one of His somewhere twenty five thirty years ago. I don't know exactly the time because I didn't time stamp it. But, um, then I, I prayed about 20 years ago, the most foolish prayer somebody could ever pray, which is, you know, do whatever you need to do to break me.
4: Huh.
2: And, you know, you just got to be careful when you pray. You got to know that you want that because God is, you know, God's going to break us regardless. But, you know, when you ask for it, he's, he's, uh, he's definitely going to be faithful. So, you know, I prevented that breaking for a lot of years. I'm a stubborn man. And, you know, so I prevented it. And, you know, I'm not, I have not gotten over all of my stubbornness yet, but I'm at a different place today. And, and, you know, there was four very significant events that he used to break me. And, you know, the first one is I was diagnosed with heart disease six years ago. And so that, that piece you realize, okay, statistically, I had a sixty percent chance of a massive killer heart attack in in the first two years, so I've beaten that already i'm you know I'm six years into it uh you know so then you know you look at your life different because you think i mean is today to the day I took a long walk in the woods um because they told me once you have the heart attack, you only have ninety minutes. And so I took a long walk in the woods where nobody, you know, a mile back uh, so that, you know, I just needed to test myself to see, okay, are you ready? You know, because nobody could find, you know, nobody could get to me in 90 minutes that far back, right? So then um, on October 9th of 2018, my son committed suicide, my only son. And, you know, that was the hardest thing I ever walked through. then on October 13th of 2021, you know, Grace was murdered. It's like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? You feel like Job. And then uh, on October 16th, I went into the hospital and I just about died. I called my right hand man in the business and I called my daughter Jessica. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it through the night. Um, to my surprise, I woke up the next morning and Within about 24 hours after that, they turned me around. It was a completely different hospital. So now I'm sitting in there and in this hospital, and I, I uh, uh, you know, it, it, ultimately, it's when God broke me. Uh, so that sequence of events, I realized he was mm-hmm. using all of those to break me so that I could be used. And I don't think anybody can be used until you're broken.
0: Amen, brother. Amen. On
2: that. So Michelle.
5: thanks um, wow what a what a testimony i I'm just stammering for words right now um scott i've i've watched um i've i've heard you on do other interviews with Stu me and thousands have heard you tell grace's story and um i I just want you to know that thousands probably millions are appreciate you and have been praying for you and your wife and just thank you for being so brave and putting her story out there and honoring her like that. And um, we're all just going to be clapping and cheering when you get to see your little buddy again. Amen. Uh, I love that you call her that. It's so sweet. And um, I'm sure as you're touring, you've, you've met other parents that have, that have been in this situation that may not even know it. Have, have, could you expand on that a little bit, how you felt them open their eyes maybe? Let,
0: let me jump yep. in there before you do, Scott, because one of the things you said when we did the Brideon interview the other day is you you carried great guilt because you said that you not been motivated by fear Grace would still be alive. Right. So you feel personal responsibility for her death. How did you, how, as you tell the story, how did you deal with that as well, Scott?
2: Um, so for the first three months after Grace died, I got up in the middle of the night, two, three o'clock in the morning, and you just replay you know, you can't help it, you know, she's gone, you replay it. And, you know, ultimately, you got to break down to why did this happen? You know, on a personal level, what did I do? You know, after grace is gone, you know, God's sovereign. So after she's gone, you realize, well, God knew the date, time, the circumstances. He knew everything before she was ever born. So you you can rest with that fact. That's a fact. But, you know, God doesn't let us in on that plan. Until afterward. So, what did I? What could I have done different? Well, technically, nothing. But you can't use that as your excuse. And so, when I I replayed everything, and I realized, okay, what what did I blow here? And it it really boiled down to letting that spirit of fear um, override my my connection with God, my critical thinking ability. And so, I had to repent of that. You know, that's how I got through it, and you know i I needed to repent of that you know, think through if i'm 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 becoming not me personally, but I mean I've been on over five hundred interviews our case you know we we're, we're we're planning on breaking into the mainstream media with this this is a this is a big deal you can't be an angry dad you can't be you know you you, you gotta be broken in order to to do this so that's that's what happened then you know to the question that was asked about Other people. That is a piece of this I was really never expecting. I just wanted to tell Grace's story. I didn't realize how it fit, none of that, but it has become, um, you know, people are depending on me. That is a strange, you know, I'm used to that because I own a business. My guys depend on me, right? But I'm not used to uh, 1.2 million families who have had loved ones murdered in hospitals depending on me. You know, it's a burden that I, yeah it you know when you mention there's millions of people praying i i obviously know that without knowing it because most days i don't feel that burden some days i do have that burden i want to just tell you about one specific story because if you don't have enough information about how nefarious this agenda is this lady contacted me after seeing grace's story she has a down syndrome daughter or had a down syndrome daughter in connecticut she was taken out by death row meds. So Grace was taken out by end-of-life meds that are used in hospice care. So she sends me her medical record or medical billing. I look at it, and then she found this article. And I dug into the article. She found a letter written April 6th of 2020 by a doctor by the name of Joel met And then he had a number of other doctors join in. And this doctor or this doctor's letter went to all the state prison systems that end prisoners lives by lethal injection and, mm-hmm. so, and we, are we able you, to ask any questions yeah hang on we're in the middle yeah. of it right now. hang he on he requested he requested uh, verconium bromide fentanyl and midazolam these are the these are the death row meds he requested this from all this i think there's 13 states that end life by lethal injection he requested those lethal injection meds for treating patients with covid and her daughter died by those lethal injection meds.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Judah, come on in. Let's roll down through here as quick as we can. Judah, then Betty, then Roger. <clears throat>
4: hey, uh, Scott, thanks for your testimony. It's um, I can relate to you on so many different levels. Your story. Speak your up a spirits. little bit, Scott.
0: Judd, speak up a little bit, please.
4: Hang on a second here. Can you hear me? Is that better? A little better. Um. You know, the story of uh, Louis Zamperini of the movie Unbroken, the book Unbroken, the story of Unbroken. Uh, you are unbroken because you put in honor Christ first. You know, the spirit of uh, fear, the spirit of confusion, the spirit of death, that is all of Lucifer, that is all satanic. Yeah. And Job, you know, that he was opened up to all those things that happened to him by the devil, not God. God is the author of love, hope, and the future. And you know what? He preserved you by giving you grace and honor to tell the truth. You know, uh, we were here with um, uh, Dr. Judy Mikeovitz last night. And as you can relate to the story, she is the whistleblower. And the names that are not told so there is Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is the low level. You get up to Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Lieber, and then there's Dr. Fauci. And this whole entire root system is being pulled out by God's people. And as they pull it out, everyone's going to see what's happening. And if anyone gets a chance to meet Dr. Judy Mikovits and understand what her role is, what her aspect of coming out and telling the truth, it matches up to what you're talking about and exposing. And uh, pray for her. Pray for your team pray for what you're doing and keep pressing forward because people need to know this truth. And it is an amazing story that God preserved you. God gave you life. And guess what? He gave you victory. And uh, we just pray for you, brother. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you,
0: Betty, Betty, come on in.
3: Yeah. I just want to thank you for your story with Gracie. Um, When I've, I've heard your story quite a few times too, because I just fell in love with Gracie. She, she was just amazing and, um, and a beautiful lady. And and it's so heartbreaking to hear that because I went through that with my brother. So I kind of know what you went through, you know.
0: A lot of families did, didn't they, Scott? A yes. A lot of went through this.
3: Yes, yeah. they did. And I just want to tell you a quick story because I drove school bus for 20 years also. And I had a little girl named Ra- Rochelle on there. And Rochelle was so positive. The one thing about them, she taught me the true meaning of unconditional love. And she was positive about everything. So one day she comes on the bus. She was a cheetah girl. If you remember the cheetah girls back then, whenever. And it's like 85 degrees out and she has her big heavy hat on and her coat. And, you know, and it's like, oh, Rochelle, you're making me so hot. And she's, oh, Betty, you know I'm a cheetah girl. You need to be a cheetah girl. (laughs) You know, and I mean, they... She made my day. She was like you know, she was a burst of sunshine, you know, even on a cloudy day. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you so much for being Mm. the warrior that you are. It's sad that you have to go through that. But God has a plan for you. Mm. And you know, I just can't thank you enough. And I love you and I love your daughter. I would have I'd have took her home in a heartbeat. She could have been my daughter. Mm. And I have to be in agreement with Coach that you are the daddy of the year.
0: Amen. Amen. Father of the year, Scott Scharr. Amen on that one. Thanks, Betty. Roger. Scott, um, let's say I have a, a 90-year-old mother, got to take her to the hospital. I have a young child that I've got to take to the hospital. What? How do you guide us to make sure we're alert? What are we looking for? for the tripwire, where they start going down this death scenario. Is there something that you found in your experience that should alert us or we want to pay attention to when we take that elderly mother into the hospital?
1: uh, So on and so forth. Is there anything that you've learned from this experience?
2: Great question. Great question. Fantastic question. The answer is absolutely. In fact, that's how I, you know, if I have long enough on interviews, I'd like to close with, with, exactly that. So, it isn't a tripwire. The tripwire, if there's a tripwire, is you change your belief. So, if you believe that they want to kill you, then you are prepared. So, your tripwire is changing your belief. So, what does it look like to be prepared? That's what I want to talk about. So, what it looks like is, of course, you've got to have your documents in line, but I'm going to talk about those documents in a minute. But before the documents, you've got to realize that there's never been a document that saved your life. You still have to advocate. So if you don't have an advocate for yourself, you're unable to advocate, you've got to get an advocate that follows what I'm going to tell you. So the documents, and I'll tell you that in a minute. So we're gonna talk about informed consent, but the documents, of course, you need a power of attorney document so that whoever is your advocate has that legal authority. And then you need a medical directives document. And we have both those on Grace's website under the hospital rescues tab. There's a uh, sub tab that says forms you need. Those forms are there. The medical directives forms are critical because you're listing out exactly what you want for your care. you got to remember you're hiring them. You're hiring the doctor. You're renting a room. And it's it's your responsibility then. We have a tendency to turn over that responsibility because we trust the lab code. Um, but you don't want to ever turn over that responsibility. So you get your documents in order. And just a quick story about why the documents can't save your life. So my wife and I rescued a disabled man out of a hospital in Green Bay on November 5th of 22. We, I went in with the power of attorney medical directives form, went through the medical directives form. 45 minutes after going through the medical directives form, which specifically said no vaccinations whatsoever on the medical directives form. 45 minutes later, the nurse came in to give the patient the COVID flu jab. Hmm. So we had to stop her. Okay, so the, the advocate can't rely on the paperwork. The paperwork's important, and it's important that it gets logged into their system, but you can't rely on the paperwork. All right, so then informed consent. So let's just walk through, when you get to the hospital, The first thing they're going to do, they want you to sign this stupid little pad with a fake pen. Don't do that. Make sure you get a copy of what they're asking you to sign because they're going to want you to turn over some rights. So don't do that. Cross off an initial, everything you disagree with, get a copy. All right, so now you go in, you make sure that they have on file your power of attorney, your medical directives form, and then you lay out the expectation relative to informed consent. And you can remind the doctor, the American Medical Association Code of Ethics 2.1.1 delineates his responsibility to provide informed consent. So this is nothing new. It's just they don't do this. So I'll give you an example of what they do. Grace died at 727 on October 13th, 2021. At 643, so this is 45 minutes before she was pronounced dead, the doctor called Cindy and I at home, and the reason at home is because I was taken out by an armed guard on um, three days earlier. So he called and said, "I'm calling to let you know Grace had another good day." Now just process what he's saying. They had already given her morphine. I'm calling you to let her know, let you know Grace had another good day. I just gave her morphine. So I said, "What's the reason you gave her morphine?" Well, I needed to slow her breathing down. So I'm still trusting the white coat. All right, that's not informed consent. That is telling you what they did after the fact. Mm. Right. Informed consent is two words. And, you know, the doctors, just so you understand this also, the doctor is hired by you. If the doctor is not doing his or her job, you fire that doctor. The hospital has to provide you another one. If that one isn't willing to follow informed consent, you leave that hospital and go to another one because you've got to get to a hospital that is willing to do that. I talked with a lady two Mm. nights ago. She had to go to seven different hospitals before one would listen. Seven. Folks, look, look, Scott, we're running out of
0: time here. Folks, this is like when you, we don't have this mindset. When you go into the hospital, you're hiring a doctor, just like you're hiring a meat cutter or a mechanic or whatever. You are hiring them. You are not going in there and submitting your life to their care. You know, we understand this. And I think this is important. Get it in the chat. GraceShara.com. I know you guys are going to want more information on that. GraceShara.com. Put that in the chat. Put it in the show notes. Scott, I hate to step on you, but we're running yep. running out of time here. You're a you're a hero, brother. So people are going to want to get a hold of you, Scott. Can can they just go to graceshare.com and just do it there. What what do you suggest?
2: Yeah, so if people want to get a hold of me directly, um, I can give you my email so that anybody that's on this this chat, my email is Scott at our amazinggrace.net. So you can do you can do it that way. This we're Scott asking at
0: our amazing net, net Scott at our amazing grace.net. Go ahead, Scott.
2: This is important to sign up on, on this website. So when you see the stay informed or, you know, the, the pop-up screen, because as Grace's case proceeds, we are going to be doing multiple calls to action and we've got to be able to get a hold of people to do that. Mm. So we're asking everybody that hears me to sign up on this website.
0: Do that. Yes, everybody sign up there. folks. Hey, Scott, here's what I tell everybody what's going on. My friend John, I always give him credit for this. There's a rude awakening coming, Scott. And then there's going to be a great awakening. This is all going to be good. And we want you to know that you're on the front lines, brother. And whether you understand it or not, God has given you a face of flint, brother. And you move. What more can they do to you, Scott? What more can they do to you, right? Nothing. They can't do
2: anything can't more than you. That's exactly right. And your, yeah. love,
0: your love for your, for your precious little grace is it oozes out of your pores, my friend. And I just want you to know that we stand with you and we cheer you on and we say, go, Scott, go, Scott, because you are going to bring peace and deliverance to more people than you will even understand for your willingness to lay down your life for those you don't even know. Scott, we appreciate you, man. Appreciate all you do. Folks, please go to his website and sign up there so we can uh, uh, continue to be made aware of this. Scott, we'll have you back on. Oh, in fact, we're going to go into the after show here a little bit. I just want to get this in there. What a story, man. What, huh? What an unbelievable story. Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. That's what Scott's doing. God bless you, Scott.
2: Thank, thank you,
5: Dave. Okay, see you. See you tomorrow.